Welcome to the Race Through Space Read-Along Podcast, written and hosted by David Hawk. Welcome to the Race Through Space Read-Along Podcast. My name is David Hawk, and I am the author of The Race Through Space, which is available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and Audible. When we left off last episode... I had just completed the first draft of the Race Through Space screenplay. First drafts are called rough drafts for a reason. It's because they're not very good. There were so many errors and continuity issues throughout part one that it was taking me longer to edit than it took me to write. I was, and still do, consider myself a novice in this business, and I don't really know other writers. There was nobody I could talk to for help or give me direction, so I did the next best thing. I consulted the Fiction Writer's Bible, a book called In Writing by Stephen King. In Writing is half King bio, and the latter half is a guide to writing good fiction. There was no one better to glean advice from than the master of horror himself. In his book, King spent a good deal of time explaining the editing process. Up to this point, I realized that editing was extremely important, mostly due to a conversation I had with one of my old elementary school teachers who pointed out that my writing needed to be edited. But I didn't really realize just how important editing was to the story. Editing is everything. King wrote in his book, Kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. Even when it breaks your egocentric little scribbler's heart, kill your darlings. What he meant is that you shouldn't get attached to the first draft of your manuscript or your screenplay. If something needs to be cut off or rewritten to make the story better, then you absolutely must do that. In every subsequent piece that I've written since, there always comes a time when you're faced with a tough decision. Do I take the easy road and leave a passage the way it is, even if it's not great? Or do I blow up the passage, even if it means having to go back through the entire story to ensure that the continuity lines up? In every instance, you need to blow up your work. As Stephen King said, kill your darlings. Over the course of several months, I reworked the script. I changed dialogue. I made Dr. Lowell a friend and not an adversary. I took out one alien species and added in another. The script went nearly at least five iterations before I was confident enough to give it to someone else to read. Having someone else read your work is terrifying, mostly because you're no longer in control. I'm extremely lucky that the two people I trusted with my screenplay were my wife and mother, who are both avid readers. I trusted their feedback, and that is one bit of advice that I could recommend to anyone who's trying to put their voice into the world. Find someone you trust to give you feedback and really listen to them. When I received my edits back, I was happy to see that it was mostly just punctuation errors that I needed to clean up. My wife and I had several conversations about some scenes that didn't make sense or there was an issue with the continuity. I went back to my computer once more, tweaked it ever so slightly, and it was done. Sitting before me was a work of art that I never thought I would accomplish. A story that had been in my head for 10 years had finally been realized. By no means was it perfect. I still go back to the screenplay and find little things here and there to work on. That is mostly because I'm a stronger writer now than I was then. But it was a goal accomplished. And not only that, it had reawakened my passion for writing and for being creative. While I was writing The Race Through Space, I came up with the idea for several sequels as well as multiple completely unrelated projects. I think the biggest thing to come out of putting the finishing touches on my screenplay was confidence. Confidence that I could achieve a goal. Confidence that I can complete a lengthy work of art, but most importantly, 
confidence that I can accomplish just about anything as long as I put enough hard work into it. On the next episode of the Race Through Space podcast, I tell you how that shot of confidence took me out to Hollywood where I finally got to meet Kevin Smith. Today, I'm reading chapters 8 through 11 of the Race Through Space trilogy. When we last left off, Neil had been injured trying to escape the Daro attack. I really enjoyed these next few chapters because not only do we get to meet the Tryan and especially Nyla, who I particularly like, we also get to meet Kythorn, who is from the Ison species on Simia, and the story shifts back to Earth. If you're following along, I am on chapter 8, page 48 of the Race Through Space trilogy. Neil looked at his surroundings. He laid in a strange bed in a room that was dark and quiet. The light from the wormhole device illuminated his face. Heavy breathing came from the floor to Neil's left. He peeked over the side and saw a soft sleeping soundly. His movement caused the lights to flicker on. The walls and ceilings of the room were tan and the floor was a polished brown. There was no windows and no furniture other than the bed. Neil moved and a pain in his leg caused him to wince. He reached down to touch his leg and he felt something odd. Neil threw off his covers and he saw that his right leg and foot were encased in a sleek white capsule. A door opened ahead of him. Just a crack at first and then it flew open. Marie bounded into the room. She ran to Neil and threw her arms around him. I'm so glad to see you, she said. Where are we? he asked. We're at the Tryon capital, called Galleon, Mary answered. What's the last thing you remember? I remember getting attacked by the Daro, jumping out of the escape hatch and landing weird. The very last thing I remember was watching the Daro carry our transport away, Neil said weakly. Was my able to escape? Marie shook her head. What happened after we escaped, he asked. Well, this guy named Nyla saved us. Your leg was pretty busted up, like gross kind of broken. They picked you up and brought you here, Marie said. She pointed to the capsule on Neil's leg. That thing is like some high-tech cast. Just then, a tall trans soldier walked into the room and bowed to Marie. He was at least seven feet tall. The soldier's scaly skin was a dark forest green on his front and his back was completely black. Neil recognized the figure standing in front of him as the same one who led the rescue at the platform. The soldier said something quietly to Marie and she turned toward Neil. This is Nyla. He said to put in your translators. Marie handed Neil his translators and he slipped them into his ears. Nyla stepped closer to the bed and a low growl came from Soth on the ground. Nyla stopped. Your friend has taken a liking to you, Nyla said. Neil shrugged. Hello, Neil. My name is Nyla. I am the leader of this remarkable city, he said. How long have I been here? Neil asked. Three days, amigo, Marie said. We need to contact Yima and the Waichu and let them know that Maya was taken, Neil insisted. I have contacted Yima personally. He said that they have detected Maya's homing beacon and that she is alive. Neil sighed, relieved. She is still in grave danger. I am assembling a team of my finest soldiers to attempt a rescue mission. The problem is that Maya's beacon is coming from above our city and the track is badly damaged. We would have to climb in total darkness through Darrow territory just to reach her, Nyla said. What if you were to attempt your rescue mission from above, Neil asked. That would be extremely helpful, but like I said, the track is destroyed, Nyla said with a hint of annoyance in his voice. I can take you to the Simian Canopy just by using my father's wormhole device, Neil said. We can use the wormhole to travel to Earth. We hang out until it's recharged, and then we use it to come back to Simia. Then we can meet up with Yima, go down the track, and rescue Maya. Nyla showed no emotion on his face. Marie stood behind Nyla, smiling, and she pointed to her head and gave Neil an emphatic thumbs up. Neil smiled back. This is actually a very good plan. Will my people be able to survive on your planet? Nyla asked. 
Earth's gravity is significantly greater than on Simia, and Earth's oxygen is considerably less. The Simians will be extremely fatigued for the duration of their journey. They will feel no lingering effects once they have returned to Simia, Ralph said through Neil's earbuds. Ralph said you'll be tired, but that's about it, Neil said to Nyla. Nyla looked at him inquisitively. We will leave in a few hours, so I can assemble my team. In the meantime, you should rest, Nyla said. He turned and walked out of the room and closed the door behind him. In Chapter 8, Neil is taken to the Triant capital of Galleon. Galleon is named after Galileo and is one of several large Triant cities on the surface of Simia. This is also the first time where we meet the Triant leader, Nyla, who I've named after Bill Nye, which I'm sure you've probably already guessed by now. And I've also tried to take the title Race Through Space literal as much as possible. Inside of the bigger race, which is the mission to rescue Neil's father, there is also a secondary race. And then in this instance, it's to rescue Maya. That's a theme that comes up in every book. In the original screenplay, the plan was for everybody to climb up to find Maya. I didn't like how it read in the book version. So, on a walk with my son, I asked him what he thought I should do. This book was essentially for kids like him to read. And what he told me was that the alien should go back to Earth. So that night, I went back to the chapter and I rewrote it. And now on to chapter 9. Marie hopped onto Neil's bed. Dude, I've been here like three days. You won't believe this. Your dad gave Nyla a bunch of movies from the 80s, and they are massively popular here. Check this out, she said. Real genius! The wall in front of them blinked on, and the opening credits of the movie Real Genius began to play. Neil looked at Marie in disbelief. No way, he said, excited. Worn out, he fell asleep as Val Kilmer's Chris Knight was throwing an extravagant indoor pool party. Several hours later, the infirmary door opened unexpectedly, startling Neil awake. They sat up as Nyla entered into the room. He was dressed in his black armor, and there was a serious look on his reptilian face. Good morning. It is time for our journey to begin, Nyla said. First, I will remove your healer. Once you're dressed, I will escort you to my team. We leave at once. Nyla walked over to Neil and pressed a series of buttons on the healing pod, causing it to unclamp. Nyla removed the healer. Neil lifted his leg and bent his knee back and forth. We will leave in five minutes, Nyla said. Neil and Marie walked out of the infirmary, side by side, with soft trailing behind them. They wore the long sleeve, black shirt, and black pants that were given to them by Maya, backpacks slung over their backs. Neil looked around at Galleon for the first time. It was a modern city in every sense. He was wowed by the many buildings made of silver and dark wood. Its bustling center had sleek transit trains running long rails built into granite streets. Neil thought it looked like videos he'd seen of Shanghai, China. Neil walked toward Nyla and his rescue party. They wore full-length black armor. To Nyla's left was a Tryon female. She was nearly a foot shorter than Nyla, but she still hovered over Neil. She had large black eyes covered in clear goggles. She had light tan coloring on her front, and her back was black. Nyla introduced her as Jala from the city of Harato. Jala stepped forward and bowed her head. There were two beings to Nyla's right. Closest to Nyla was a male Tryon soldier. He was roughly the same height as Nyla. His coloring was entirely black, and he was thick with muscle. He was introduced as Talek of Galleon. Talek stepped forward and bowed his head. The last creature was certainly not a Tryon, or a Waichu. It was a member of the Ison species. Its gender was unspecific. The Ison soldier reminded Neil of a bat. It had a flat, upturned nose on its pink face. It had large ears and brown eyes with large pupils. It was also covered in a light layer of silver fur. The creature was introduced as Kythorn from the Ison capital of Dorisha. Kythorn walked forward and placed its hand on its forehead. Neil saw a leathery wing connecting Kythorn's arm to its leg. 
For Maya, Kythorn said. The plan is that we will travel to Neil's planet, wait for his machine to recharge, and then return to Simia. There we will make our way to Alone and rendezvous with Yuma and his team. He will lead us to the source of Maya's beacon, Nyla said. Jala, you will lead protection, Nyla said and extended his arm to Neil. Neil stepped in front of the rescue team. There are some things that you need to know. First, my planet is called Earth. It's bigger than Simia and has much less oxygen than here. When we get there, you'll probably feel very tired, but that will go away once we return to Simia. The wormhole will take us directly to my father's lab. You can't leave there under any circumstances. My people have a shoot-first kind of attitude towards anything weird, Neil said. Everyone in the party nodded in agreement. Neil swiped the screen of the wormhole device and pressed the picture of Earth. He tapped the screen again to initiate the wormhole. It shot out a bright blue laser that expanded to reveal the wormhole's singularity. Within the wormhole was his father's lab. Tolik walked up and around the glowing wormhole. When he was directly behind it, he could see the search party and Galleon behind them. It was as though the wormhole were not even there. He walked back around to the front of the singularity, and inside was a room full of desks and computers, not unlike the ones on his world. His eyes were fixed on a picture hanging on the wall of Steven's lab. It was of two painted horses on their hind legs, fighting each other in a bank of snow. Tolik, transfixed by the picture, walked straight through the wormhole. Neil and the others watched him walk, stumble, and crash straight into a desk. Smooth, dude, Marie said as she tried to stifle an inappropriate laugh. Nyla was the next to walk through, followed by Jayla, Soth, and Kythorn. Marie trailed Kythorn. Neil was the last to go. He longed to be back in the cozy confines of his father's lab, but he hesitated going through the wormhole. He took one last look around the cavernous city around him, sighed, and finally walked through the singularity before it collapsed. Neil's head swam as his body rushed to reacclimate to Earth's conditions. The simian slumped down in the nearest chair or couch, fatigued by Earth's crushing gravity. Within minutes, they were all asleep and snoring loudly, including Soth. Neil pulled Marie aside. We need to get supplies while they're asleep, and you need to see if your mom will let you stay the night over here, Neil said. I'll tell her that I'm staying here to check out your dad's telescope, Marie said. That's just nerdy enough for her to say okay. Neil and Marie raced back outside the lab, but stopped in the driveway. Their bikes weren't there. They were still sitting on Neil's lawn. Dang it, Marie said, slapping her hand to her forehead. Neil had an idea. He abruptly turned and ran to a small detached garage to the left of the lab and disappeared inside. At the beginning of the chapter, I give a big shout out to one of my favorite nerd comedies of the 1980s, a movie called Real Genius. We also find out that Steven has been bringing movies and music for the Trian to enjoy, and it is massively popular in the Trian cities. In the original screenplay, I added a short scene where Marie explores Galleon. I'll put it up when I get around to expanding the original trilogy. Later, we also get to meet the Trian search party. Talek is named after Theon of Alexandra. There's also a female Trian named Jayla, who is named after astronomer Jan 11. And we also meet Kythorn, who is a member of the Ison species. The Ison species live in the mountains and resemble enormous bats. Kythorn itself is named after one of the leading black hole scientists named Kip Thorne. In this chapter, I once again introduce the rules of the wormhole. Everybody has 30 seconds to go through the singularity. And in this instance, all paths lead back to the mountain lab. And finally, because Earth has considerably more gravity than Simia, the Trian search party is exhausted the moment they walk through the singularity. And now, chapter 10. Marie tried to see in through the garage door, but it was too dark inside. An engine revved, startling her backwards. Neil came walking out with a dusty red and white dirt bike. Now we're talking, Marie said. 
Neil handed Marie a black helmet, and when she put it on, it slipped all the way down her face and covered her eyes. The helmet was much too big for her. Neil's helmet was round, and it had a dark visor. It was his helmet from when he was younger, and rode with his father around the lake behind the lab. It had NASA stickers covering the entire surface. Looking at the helmet made Neil really miss his father. He took a small breath and slipped the helmet on his head, but it stuck just above his forehead. It was way too small. He took it off, turned to Marie, and handed the sticker-covered helmet to her. Trade, he asked? Marie handed Neil the bigger helmet, and they mounted the bike. Onward, noble steed, Marie said, pointing her finger forward. Neil hit the accelerator too hard. The bike tricked forward, and Marie fell off backward, hitting the ground hard. Neil stopped and jumped off the bike. He ran to Marie, and all he could hear were loud sobs coming from underneath the helmet. He knelt down next to her. I'm so sorry, Neil said. Are you all right? Neil flipped up Marie's visor and noticed that she wasn't sobbing at all. She was actually laughing hysterically. Neil cracked up too. They got back up on the bike, and this time, Neil took off perfectly. They drove down the dirt road and back onto the highway into Mountain View. The sun was bright in the sapphire mountain sky. There were a few wispy clouds floating lazily above the valley. Neil and Marie rode along the highway that headed into town. Mountains towered on both sides of the road and pine trees swayed in the wind. Neil slowed the bike down as they entered Mountain View and rode past the museum. Neil looked over and saw that the only car remaining in the parking lot was his father's car. Just then, the front tire wobbled, snapping his attention back to steering the bike. They continued through the town and over to his parents' house, where his mother's car sat in the driveway. Neil parked the motorbike in the street. The two of them hopped off the bike, sprinted across the front yard and through the front door. Neil ran down the front hallway to the kitchen where his mother was sitting. He ran and jumped into her arms and closed his eyes. Marie walked up from behind and hugged them both. Neil reluctantly let go of his mother. I missed you, he said. I missed you too, she said, eyeing him suspiciously. You're home early, he said. Sweetheart, you may want to take a seat. There is something extremely important I need to tell you. This may sound crazy, but you need to believe me, his mom said. Are you talking about the wormhole thing? Marie asked. Neil and his mom locked eyes at the same time and yelled, You know? Of course I know. I'm the one who told your father that it was okay to go on his mission, his mother said. What's the situation? Dad and Dr. Lowell got stranded on a planet that Dad's never been on. He sent me and Grandpa a kind of distress call, Neil said. I got one too, said his mother. Your dad's message said for me to contact Grandpa Al and then show you your message. Have you been through the wormhole? Oh yeah, we have, Marie said. Neil's mom looked from Marie to him. Tell me about it, she said to Neil. We met with dad's friend Yima, Neil said. He was really nice. Everyone with her was super cool. We were going to the Trian capital with Maya when we were attacked by these creatures called the Daro, and she was taken. Tears streamed down from his mother's eyes as Neil told her about being hurt so far away from home. She wiped her tears away with her hand. We were saved by a dude named Nyla, Marie said. Then what, his mother asked. Nyla put together a rescue team to find her, he answered. And that's when you came back, his mother said, not really asking. I, uh, we have to get back to the lab. We're just here to get supplies, Neil said. Supplies for what, his mother asked. Um, Marie began, trailing off. Well, we, um, kind of brought back Nyla's search party. They're staying at Dad's lab, Neil said sheepishly. You did what, his mother asked, and he could tell it was an effort not to raise her voice. We had to. There was no other way for Nyla's rescue team to reach Yima, Neil said. I see, said his mother. So you'll let us go, Neil asked. Well, there is no us, his mother said. She turned toward Marie. 
I'm sorry, sweetie. I can't let you go with Neil. But Mrs. Webb, we're a team, Marie said firmly. Neil needs someone to watch his back. I understand that, Marie, said Neil's mother. But your mother would be furious if she knew that I let you go with Neil. What if she says I can go, Marie asked. Sure, his mother said hesitantly. If you're able to convince your mother to let you go, then you can go. Marie pulled out her phone, called her mother, and put the call on speakerphone. Ms. Arroway picked up the phone on the second ring. Hey, what's up, baby girl? How was the show? She asked. It was awesome. But that's not why I called. I have a really weird question for you, Marie said. Okay, said her mother suspiciously. What if I told you that I had to go with Neil to another planet to help out his dad? Would you let me go? Marie asked. Probably not. That sounds like a dumb idea, said Marie's mother. What if I told you I was 100% legit? Marie asked. I think you should come home because I think you're not feeling well, her mother answered back. I'm not sick, Marie said irritably. I'm serious. I have to go with Neil to a different planet halfway across the universe to find his dad. Catherine, it's Vera, said Neil's mother, breaking into the conversation. Hey, Vera, what's Marie talking about? I don't know how to explain this, but what Marie is singing is absolutely true, she said. I don't have time for this. Can you please send Marie home, asked Marie's mother. Can I come over and show you something, Neil's mother asked. Sure, Marie's mother said. In chapter 10, there was a big block of time to account for while the device was charging. So this is an opportunity for Neil and Marie to go get supplies for their return trip back to Simia. Ultimately, their plan to get supplies brought him back to Neil's house. The original plan was to avoid his parents, but they end up running into Neil's mom. When I initially wrote the scene in the original screenplay, I had two options. I could either have Neil lie to his mom and convince her that she should let him go, or I should have Neil be honest with his mother. I wanted Neil to be honest. And from then on, I wanted Neil and Marie always to be positive to each other, and I always wanted them to do the right thing. Later, the phone call to Marie's mom was something I had added into the book. It wasn't in the screenplay. I changed it because, as a parent myself, I would be super upset if some other kid's parent allowed my own kid to do something dangerous without asking me. But this also gave me a spark of inspiration. Marie is a dynamic character, and I wanted her mom to be the same way. Chapter 11 a few minutes later, Marie's mother sat in front of her laptop. Neil, Marie, and his mother stood behind her as they watched the emergency message that his dad sent. After it was over, she slowly closed the laptop. Let me get this straight. Your husband is stranded on some planet in a galaxy far, far away, asked Marie's mother. Essentially, Neil's mother answered. You know that sounds ridiculous, right? Marie's mother asked. I'm just trying to see where the joke is in all of this. Mom, it's not a joke, Marie said, pleadingly. You heard Neil's dad? This is going to be the most important mission in the history of our planet. Don't you want to be one of the people responsible for that? Isn't that why you're going back to school? To change the world? Well, here's your chance. Please let me go with Neil. Her mother swiveled in her chair and stopped in front of Marie. She took Marie's hands into hers and stared right into her eyes. Please show me any kind of proof. Baby, I trust you 100%, but my brain also says this can't be true, her mother said. I can help you with that. Neil said slyly. What does that mean? asked Marie's mother. Come with us. We're heading out to my husband's lab, his mother said. We have something to show you, Marie said, smiling. What is it? asked her mother. You just have to wait and see, Neil replied. The four of them piled into his mother's car and they took off towards the lab. They stopped to grab some groceries from City Market and then some burgers and shakes from Charburger. The sky was a deep violet as his mother pulled up to the front of the lab. 
What is this place? asked Marie's mother. This is Mr. Webb's lab, Marie said. What's inside the lab? her mother asked. I believe that would be your proof, Neil's mother said. The four of them climbed out of the car and Neil led them to the front door. The laser scanned his face and the door opened. Anyone else think that was weird? asked Marie's mother. Wait here, Neil said to the two mothers. Neil and Marie slipped inside the door to the darkened lab. Seconds later, Marie let them in and handed them a pair of translators to share. Put these in first, she said. Neil's mom stepped inside first, and Marie's mom followed close behind. They took a pair of apprehensive steps forward when they were hit by a pungent, musky odor. Marie's mother tried unsuccessfully to stifle a dry heave. Neil's mother attempted to wave the sting from her nose. Vera, what stinks? It smells like something died in here, said Marie's mother. What are you talking about? I don't smell anything, Marie replied. Baby girl, I think you've gone nose deaf, her mother said. Neil walked into the light with Nyla right behind him. Nyla walked up to the two women and then bent to one knee. How's that for proof? Marie asked. Mom, Ms. Arroway, this is Nyla, Neil said. He is the leader of a city called Galleon on a world named Simia. Jala and Talek walked up behind Nyla. This is Jala and Talek, Marie said as Jala and Talek bowed their heads. They are from a civilization called the Trian. Kythorn trailed behind with Soph at his side. This is Kythorn from a species called the Ison. They live in the mountains on Simia, Marie said. Just then, Soph pushed past the Simians and stopped in front of Neil's mother. Marie's mother grabbed her hand and squeezed it hard. Neil's mother hardly seemed to notice. Soph looked at them and flopped onto his back. Neil walked up behind him and rubbed his chest. This is Soph, Neil said. He's like a cat or something. It's hard to explain. In chapter 11, we're introduced to Marie's mother, Catherine Arroway. The name Catherine is in honor of the famous NASA mathematician named Catherine Johnson, and Arroway is a nod to Carl Sagan's character, Ellie Arroway, from the book Contact. Like I said earlier, I wanted to make Marie's mother just as dynamic as her daughter is. So, the backstory I gave to Miss Arroway is that she moved up to Mountain View to get out of the city. She's a single mother who works a full-time job as going back to school online to get her degree. Now that we met Marie's mom, Neil Marie had to find some way to convince her that Marie should go with Neil back to Simia. So a thought came to my brain. Why not introduce her to some aliens? And finally, in the screenplay, Talek wakes up from a nap and decides to explore the area around the lab. But while he's out, two drunk hunters mistook him for a game animal and shot at him. I took it out of the book for two reasons. One, because I felt it was disrespectful to hunters, but also because I don't want to have guns in the stories. Well, there you have it, another episode of the Race Through Space Read-Along Podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. Feel free to drop any comments to DaveTheWriter303 at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with me on Twitter at DavidHawk303, on Instagram at DavidHawk303, and on Facebook at DaveTheWriter303. On the next episode, I'll talk about my trip to Hollywood and how that inspired me to turn the screenplay into a book and how that book turned into a book deal. And we will also finish the first story in the Race Through Space trilogy. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and when you're outside, take a look at the stars. The Race Through Space read-along podcast is a Chucky Pacific production. For comments or sponsorship inquiries, please go to truckypacificproductions at gmail.com.